thanks for listening. My name is Christian Buckley, and you're listening to the Collab Talk podcast. In this episode, I'm talking with Sue Hanley, a Microsoft MVP, information architect, and independent consultant on the topic of the evolution of collaboration and whether or not the fundamentals of intranets have changed. Welcome to another episode of the Collab Talk podcast, where we discuss the convergence of technology, business productivity, and collaboration culture. And my guest today is Sue Hanley. I should always put it, Sue, don't call me Susan Hanley. Uh, you know me too well. You know, Microsoft, well, you always harass me about that. Uh, a Microsoft MVP and an independent consultant based out of the Washington, D.C. area. And I'll let you do a, a broader introduction there, but welcome, Sue. Thank you so much for having me. So why, don't you do, so why don't you do, talk about yourself for a minute, like as you were wont to do, you just go out and just, Sue's constantly talking about herself. No, why don't you give us an introduction of like your specialty, where, what you focus on, what you do? Sure. So I'm an information architect and business analyst, and I do people things in the internet and collaboration space. So my focus areas are information architecture, governance, adoption, change management, design. I, I spend a lot of my time designing intranets. That's something I really love to do because I like to organize content and I like to make things easy for people to get work done. So I am very outcome focused and people oriented. So. I'll just say, point out another thing that Sue always uh, um, yells at me about is when I use the word requirements. She the R word? Requirements. I know. Um, outcome. So I, I find myself, I catch myself doing that and I think of you there. But we're focusing today on kind of like the, you know, like the evolution of our collaboration environments. Like we've been in this space in different aspects of the collaboration space for, for a long time. But I want to talk about and the, the fundamentals of collaboration and have they changed? Maybe we start there. You know, I think when you're planning any kind of collaborative solution, you still have to think about today all the same things we had to think about 30 years ago. How are we organizing our content? How are we governing what we're building? How are we educating people or giving them the education and learning opportunities that they need to be successful? How do we communicate to them what's different, what's new, how they can continue to get work done, but we have new ways of doing it? How, what's in it for me? Sort of, you know, why is this with new thems. way of working? Yeah, that's right. With thems are. Yeah, I always like to say everyone in the organization is listening to the same radio station, oh, WIIFM. Yeah. <laughs> and right. so we really do need to think about all of those same things, um, no matter what kind of solution we're building, but even more importantly, in a collaboration solution, because that's the, you know, that's basically the guts of what everybody does. And so we, these, we are talking about high impact um, solutions that impact, well, impact everyone in the organization. So we still need to think about all of the same sort of foundational things as we should have always been doing when we roll out any kind of IT solution. You know, my, I always talk about my, so my entrance into the portal world was working for the phone company, uh, was on a part of a shared services IT organization, was split off from Pacific Bell. So we were actually Pacific Telsis shared services. 
And I was in the project portfolio management space, was a technical PM and doing data warehousing projects and, and managing multi, across multiple sites in Northern California. And, and we launched, our team had this portal and we had you know, uh, customers that were from a couple of different business entities that would come in and access. Like I was actually building workflow of the, uh, a visualization of the workflow. And it was very rudimentary. I mean, I was actually using Corel Draw to create the little assets, the buttons and things that we would go and build. And people could click on it, would take them to the area. And it's very rudimentary. It was the mid nineties building some of those things out. But I started getting, taking on more and more tasks on expanding out this portal and then I started hearing from people about how difficult it was to find content within that. And so building out structures, building out, you know, table of contents with hyperlinks to things. And I started to use like, like RoboHelp and DocuHelp and tools <laughs> like that to go in all hypertext, you know, yeah. actualized there for a lot of the content, um, which was a great solution at the time to be able to go and access that. Mm -hmm. um, and, and how that really kind of, that path led me into eventually getting involved with SharePoint in that space. But I, I, one of the things I just noticed, and you and I have talked about this for years and years and years, is like every time there's a new version of SharePoint that's out there, seems like a whole group of people, as the features got better, more powerful, come to realize a lot of things like, yeah, the information architecture was always important. Search, yeah, that was always important. It's not just now, now that you're you're familiar with the new capabilities. That's great. Yeah, they've always been true. And I'm mean, going back to that my experience. And I don't know if you kind of find yourself kind of circling the same topics, having those same conversations as others become enlightened. <laughs> yeah, I, I do. And I'm seeing it um, more now because I'm, one of the projects I'm working on right now is I have a client that I did their internet. I designed their internet and helped them deploy it in 2013 using SharePoint 2013 yep. on-prem. And at the time, I thought we did a really good job and we thought about governance. We thought about search and we, were, we did things the best we could at that time. I'm now coming back in. Uh, eight years later, to help them move to the cloud. And I'm like, oh my God, why did we do this? I mean, it's, uh, I mean, some of what we did was just so aspirational and really great. And there's a lot of metadata and we trained yeah. people to use it. But, oh God, create, it took me 90 minutes to create a news page. I mean, I had to look at my own documentation because I had to go find a thumbnail image. I had to go find a specifically sized article image. And I had to um, like use a specific template so that it would go in the rotator. Oh my God. It was like, I know I always really thought about people that how people are going to interact with the system. And as I said, I think we did the best we could in 2013, but you know, those, yeah. that foundation of make it easy for people to both consume and contribute. Well, this is, you know, I'm looking back and saying, oh my God, I think we did the best we could with what the tools we had, but it is hard. And there's no wonder that this beautiful solution has withered a little bit. It's really hard to use. And every time I'm actually now supporting the infrastructure for that, 
my legacy um, and blame it on me kind of thing. And we're supporting it now. And I just got to get it to the cloud as quickly as possible. It's just so hard. It is so hard to do things that are sort of second nature. So the technology has advanced. And as I'm thinking about redesigning and moving things to the cloud, I know for sure we're going to nail uh, ease of use, creation of content, and that'll be so much easier for content contributors. And search is going to be great as well. It's you know it's, it was actually pretty good because we had a lot of metadata, but it will be even better in the cloud. But we still have to because oh my god we used those dreaded subsites we have to reconsider the information architecture and we run basically i you have to, we almost have to go back and think about every one of those foundational elements in order to upgrade to the cloud to use this new technology those foundational things you know thinking about adoption change management architecture search all of those we have to rethink them um, to align with the new capabilities and how the organization has changed in the last eight years. You know, so much of it, I mean, what you're just talking about, you know, having to go through a lot of those steps as you, as companies move to the cloud. I mean, one kind of a side topic, do you have any idea, have you seen data points of like how many organizations that, that have been within the SharePoint world, like are still on-prem, like, like environments? It, I, don't, it, I don't know the data, but I'm touching a lot of them. A lot days. of them still? Yeah. Well, because part of it, because I know that was the advice from Microsoft was, look, and I've said this for the last 15 years is, you know, migration. And I said this as a Microsoft employee in the early days of, of my SharePoint career, um, that migration is an opportunity to go and fix bad decisions yeah, and, and you take advantage of that opportunity. Don't just lift and shift, take what's ugly and you hate it and think that, oh, it'll be better over the new system. No, you'll hate it on a newer interface. <laughs> you know uh, what I always say, my favorite migration strategy is all content left behind. And so what I always ask people to say is, look, first of all, legacy um, legacy internets were uh, in early SharePoint days were primarily based on documents and yeah. modern experiences are based on pages. So we're gonna take a lot of those documents and turn them into pages so that they're easier to update, easier to consume on multiple devices and richer and more engaging. But we don't wanna just take everything and move it to the new content. So we're going to go all Marie Kondo on our content. We're not going to ask it, hey, do you spark joy? But we're going to say things like, have you earned the right to be to get moved to our new platform? And if so, what format should you be in so that consumers can consume you more easily and content management, people who are responsible for content management can keep you updated um, more easily. And so yeah. that also you can talk to other content. Without I mean, two them. two things that have really uh, you know evolved. I think in a lot of ways, and and we're gonna we're in folks that are watching or listening. We're we're gonna circle around a few different you know topics. So there's uh you know uh, it's all related here. But two fundamental changes that have also changed the way that we look at these is one co-editing, and mm -hmm. how powerful that really is. This idea that you know we, we've talked about it for so long you know, the one version of the truth and how painful checking in and checking out was and versioning and all that kind of stuff. Having the, you know, the truly one version, we're all working off of that is reduced a lot of the complexity around that. And then secondary is in platforms like Teams, having the contextual conversation alongside that asset or multiple assets, artifacts, your documents, um, mm -hmm. things. 
de also decreases then the volume of documentation and things, whether even if it's all digital, um, which is a side side story, by the way. So I have in my closet over here, I have a printer and I went to print something. I started doing taxes this last month, I went to print something out just so I could go through and more easily redline and stuff. And my, my ink was dry. And I went to the store and, and bought and I refilled. I realized I went and checked the last time I bought ink taxes last year for that printer. <laughs> I have not, I had not used the printer in a year, but just that, that's, you know, we, we are so document or were so document centric and physical documents. Like I I'm not printing anything ever anymore. It's all digital, but now I'm even looking at how do I reduce my footprint of the digital media so that it's, we're working on the same thing and that same version. And I will even look for that when somebody says, oh, just I'll send you a copy. Like, no, 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 put it in the centralized place. Let's all work from that today. In fact, I just advised that again to a peer today. Like, no, let's go work on your version, but let's give us all access to it and work on it there. And so, while I realize there's complexity to make that magic all happen. The how that simplifies so much of the things that we stressed about and the volume of content and sprawl or has the potential to, to improve so much of that through the advances well, of the technology. Yeah, I think um, one of the things I've been focused on lately because this has been a pain point for several of my clients is that um, when you think about sprawl, if you were a SharePoint first organization, so we've been using SharePoint for a long time in multiple versions, you basically understand that contract construct. Microsoft Teams comes in and many organizations um, deployed Teams at the beginning of the pandemic, mostly for meeting collaboration and chat. What they didn't factor in is, uh-oh, when we created a team for that marketing meeting kind of chat thing, we forgot that marketing has a team site that might even be in our on-prem environment. And rather than simplifying, we actually complexified because now the marketing team is wondering, I'm working on a document, where do I put it? Do I, and this is what they say to me a lot. Do I put it in SharePoint or do I put it in Teams? And I'm like, oh my God, there is no, you can't put anything in Teams. It's all SharePoint, but I don't say that. And what, and what, I'm, what, what, um, what has confused people and what is I see happening a lot is, I can't remember where I put it, so I'll make sure it's in both places. And now instead of introducing simplicity, um, we've actually made things more complicated because we didn't really think about when we launched Team. We didn't have time and there's no, I mean, everybody did it this way and we had no choice. But now that we're kind of in, at what I've hoped, you know, was sort of like this new normal, it's now time to clean up our act and sort of look at, does marketing now have one, two, three places to put content? And can we take their on-prem collaboration space and map it to their uh, team's team? You know, team, you know team. early on in my career, I, I, I think I recognized that, uh, and as I started working for software companies, that the, uh, the more streamlined, more clear-cut you make the end-user experience, it usually equals complexity on the back end to make that possible. And, and not that there's anything wrong with, uh, you know, we want to make the user experience 
as effortless as uh, we want to align it with the way that they work and the collaboration culture and all those things, because the benefit of everyone collaborating successfully and sharing knowledge and doing that, the innovation that happens, the, you know, the shared understanding, all of those positives of collaboration far outweigh the pain that happens on the back end. I'm sorry for those that are out in that world that are admins or, or supporting these systems. It's also keeping you employed. So, you know, cheer up, you know, but, but again, it's, it's like that cost of doing business. Now, ideally you want to, you want to build a system in a way that you can easily manage it, maintain it. But that's what kind of what governance is. Governance is here's what the end user wants and needs, the business needs. Here's what the technology does. And they meet like this. Yeah. And governance is helping it so that we can bridge those gaps. And well, and also so that we have no sharp edges on our compliance requirements and regulations and all that, I guess. But I was really addressing- Works for everyone. Sorry. Right. Yes. No, but I was, I was sort of trying to point out in your, oh my God, let's not proliferate documents all over the place and email them to each other. Let's also try and think about how many different places we have to yeah. store content. And can we rationalize that to hey, actually make it easier for the admin? You know, if I can kill that SharePoint site, the, right. the, the legacy SharePoint site and move all that content um, thoughtfully Right. to channels and in the team, in the SharePoint site, we already get with teams anyways, and then bring the best features of SharePoint right into the team. I am actually reducing some friction by giving people one place to work, um, sort of moving or aligning people around the single pane of glass that Teams provides. And because I can bring all the rest of SharePoint, the internet content into Teams using Viva Connections, I will actually be making it easier for both me, the admin, and me, the end user, and yeah. me, the content owner, because, right. you know, from, from, you know, when I'm uh, sort of administering my documents, I can do that from Teams, but I can also go to SharePoint or OneDrive for that matter, and do all that administration from a single pane of glass that allows me to focus on that entity. So I think simplifying for everybody, everybody will win. I don't think we have to make it harder for the admin in order to make it easier for the end user. Well, no, we do need to do some planning, I think. Right. And part of the planning, and you also mentioned, you know, the, and the change management activity around it. I think it's just like one, you know, need to set expectations. Like people think that, hey, well, we had that other, uh, you know, on-prem environment and we're going to migrate or move all of our content over and some of the structure, we'll have to rebuild some things and then we're done and then it will just go on, you know, ongoing. The reality is that, you know, over the course of your work experience, there will be uh, reorgs happening, which may require, again, it's not referred to as, I, I refer to that as more change management activities, but the movement of content and, uh, you know, and, and other artifacts within the system. And, and so similar tools and scripts and third-party tools and other things might be involved with that, but it's more of a change management activity. So that like set the expectations that, Hey, we're going to be back and do this. I, when I was the short period, a couple of years where I was a SharePoint admin, actually owned these and had end users that would come to me and to my team with requests around that, we were constantly reorganizing content because I worked for an organization that was reorging teams and moving content. And we had orphan sites and orphan content were constantly 
constantly. It was an 1800 person organization. So there's a lot of movement, a thing across that constantly moving and changing and, and cleaning up. And, and only where we felt like, Hey, you know, we could actually do this is where we made our strength change management, where we made it part of our, I ran a shared services team, like the part of the culture of that 1800 person organization, where there was a front door process requests came in, we prioritized, we gave visibility into the tasks and the requests coming in and that we provided, we, we, we were very transparent when requests came in and said, this is what you're asking for. This is what it takes to be done. Here's the resources we have. Here's where it fits. What would you like to do? And have those conversations. It worked really well. And yeah, although I think if you architect your content less about the org and more about the topic and the experience, you'll do less migrations. At least agree. Agree. So and we I could think have done a better a... job back in the day when yeah. we were shipping the org chart as our intranet platform, but that's a different topic. And so. and but yeah, and I, but I think with a lot of especially in this era, I think you know M and A uh, mergers and acquisition yeah. activities and stuff, and and others are are also a reality for good point. So yeah, that's a really good point. And, and so you can't prepare for that. That yeah. That's an unknown. You're taking somebody else's lift and shift. <laughs> yeah. And, but anyway, it's, so that's, I, I, I just think if you, my point there is that if you have a culture that's, that understands change and that it changes constant and yeah, you might do a really great job and it's doing very fluid. It, it, it's working well. So you can go concentrate on other value add elsewhere. Um, but people then don't freak out when, hey, we suddenly, we acquired a company and we're moving systems in and it's a hot mess. Yeah, I mean, though, I mean, look, change is hard no matter how you look at it. Um, you know, my favorite quote about change, I forget who said this, you know, change is good, you go first. Like, you know, and then my other, I often use this joke, you know, how many psychiatrists does it take to change a light bulb? Only one, but the light bulb has to want to change. So who says we actually wanted to change? I'm not broken. You know, this has been, you know, I've been a consultant for more than 40 years. And this is like, I, I have to watch and check myself. You know, when I'm uh, doing some discovery work with a client, they're not broken. They're managing to get work done. I need to let them tell me what the pain points are, not try to introduce pain points that they don't feel. So, you know, yeah. you have to be yep. really sensitive to that. Everything seems to be working for me. Um, why are you trying to change me? So, right. you know, I think we have to think about that with change management as well. Well, that's always, um, it, uh, there's like that, that kind of Schrodinger cat type scenario <laughs> of, do we show the client the latest, greatest features before we understand the outcomes they're driving towards? Because if, if you ask them what their outcomes are, they're they're responding based on their lens of understanding. We bias ourselves of what we ask for based on what we think is what possible. we know. No, that's right. Also, that's why I don't. You know, when I do discovery work, I never ever ever ask what do you want on the internet. That is a yeah. losing proposition right. because people always think yeah. about the box that we're in. Instead, I want to know. You know, what kind of information do you need to need to do your job? With whom do you collaborate? What kind of content are you exchanging? So that we can then from this is what I said, I look for outcomes, not requirements, because I want to be able to derive the requirements from the outcomes that we're trying to get to. And I we're all biased based on what we know and what we have. 
that always wins sort of in the priority. Okay, so you can't ask about what you want on the internet. Instead, what you have to ask is what does a successful internet look like? Work backwards. We've just re-architected everything. What does that mean for you? What are you able to find? With whom are you able to collaborate? What are you able to do? And that actually gets me way better outcomes than um, surveys, which I don't like to use. And um, the dreaded questions, what do you want on the internet? Oh gosh, if I hear people, when I hear people ask that. Just, oh. Well, that's why I like the, uh, well, first I would say that I am not biased. Other people are just very argumentative. Um, <laughs> but the, no, but the other part, that's why I love the, like the very agile, the iterative cycle of two. And to say, what are you trying to accomplish? What are the outcomes mm -hmm. around this? And go and solve on that smaller scale. That's a great way to go and in, introduce, to help them. Okay, hey, we've, we've solved these we, you know, the, these business problems, but it, you know, it, it going in, I mean, I completely understand when you ask people, well, what do you want from that as a, I learned, again, that's a lesson I learned early on as a project manager in those scenarios, those were the uh, endless scope creep problem projects that you wanted to run away from. If I, if I can't clearly define it, something that I'm sensitive to now is that if I can't understand what the end point is, so that I know that I've ex that I've achieved or exceeded, then like, all right, we don't know what the, the, that is yet. We can't yet start. So you started. We started this conversation by talking about you know what's old is new, and so I just want to yeah. address the point you raised about agile. So way back in the day when I first learned how to be a business analyst, we had a methodology that today you would call agile, but back then we didn't give it a name. But even with agile, you need to start with the big picture. What are we trying to accomplish as a whole? You can only, when you have that system concept in mind and understand where the big rocks are and where the big challenges are going to be, only when you have that big picture can you start to iterate um, little solutions along yeah. the way. And so when I, I had to giggle when all this agile stuff came out because I thought, well, gosh, that's how we have been designing and building solutions since I started back in the dawn of time. Yeah. Um, because I worked for a very progressive uh, consulting firm with a lot of really, really Sue, smart. Sue, so when you see like a wheel, do you like, I helped build that? Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I was my kid. But so in any event, I mean, I guess, you know, just to come to bring that into play, if you were designing solutions correctly, um, even back in the day, um, again, you're focused on business outcomes, uh, change management, all the things that we've been, uh, just been talking about. So uh, these basic foundational principles of how we should be thinking about the work that we do and delivering value to business, just to bring this all home, that has not changed. The tech we have with which to do that is different than it was 40 years ago when I started my career. But the basic principles, um, if and not everyone always did them right, but if we, the basic principles are still very much the same. And I think that's where we started. And I think that's- Yeah. I, and, and, and kind of a last question, that, uh, do you see, um, has there been kind of an, uh, you know, a, a, an understanding by customers? Is it, do you think they better understand that? Um, like the, the kind of those fundamentals or do you still have to find yourself having to walk them through and explain? It depends. You know, I, I think it depends on the customer. One thing that's really helpful, I think, you know, part of the issue is you always say you don't want to start in the box that you know. On the other hand, people don't really have a concept. If, if they have a legacy 
um, impression, if you will, of SharePoint or Yammer or any of the tools that don't look like they did. Uh, yeah. ten, don't work like they did. They're very, very different. Then sometimes you have to start with, hey, this is what a modern collaboration experience could be. Let me walk you through a day in the life or a scenario so that they have something to wrap their head around to start saying how, oh, I could see how I could see myself in that solution. And so, you know, sometimes you do have to start with, let me show you an example of how others are thinking, you know, what the art of the possible is. And now let's come back and bring that into your business problems. But even that, there, there's definitely an element of risk. But I think sometimes you really do need to introduce, especially when you're trying to change an impression. Here's kind of what the art of the possible is. You know, I just wrote down for the next time that my kids harassed me and said about something that's like, oh, dad, that's just like you. That's like an old 80s. I'm a big 80s new wave music guy. And I'd be like, no, that's your legacy impression of, <laughs> of, of music. And let me update you. <laughs> well, as I like to say, tell my kids, just because something is old doesn't mean it's not valuable. Yeah. I, I just have to say that I was so excited the day that my oldest son, while well, he's his senior year in high school, where he was listening to one of my favorite Duran Duran albums. And he's like, yeah, it says, yeah, it, I've been listening to the CD tapped into my collection. I said, you realize I have every one of their albums, every I've got posters, I have t-shirts, I have vinyl, I have er, you know, everything. And he's just, I just like, cause my friends, nobody knows. It's like, it's my band. I was so excited. Hey, one of my kids is going to be in a Duran Duran. Yeah. It lasted about a week. <laughs> kind of sad. Made, made me feel old. So Sue, thank you so much for your time. It's uh, uh, always, it's great to catch up with you. And uh, I hope to see you at one of these events that are starting to open up uh, fairly soon. Yep, me too. Thanks so much for having me. It's always a pleasure when we get to reconnect, even if it's over um, digital experiences. <laughs>You've been listening to the Collab Talk podcast. New episodes are published every Friday, and you can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and most other podcast services. Thanks for listening. Hungry for more great content? You have to check out the Shift Happens podcast. I'm your host, Ducks Raymond Sai, Chief Brand Officer at AppPoint. And I sit down to chat with top business leaders and IT professionals about their most challenging modern workplace projects. Tune in to hear real-life advice from industry peers on making plans and pivots, casual conversations exploring the latest trends in collaborative Microsoft 365 technology, and easy, actionable strategies to make organizational change happen. Subscribe to the Shift Happens podcast today, available on all major platforms. Can't wait to see you there. Shift Happens Podcast.